You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. We are still in between series this morning. We finished um, our better series where we went through the book of Hebrews in in total. um, And we finished that a couple weeks ago. And next week, we will start our new series called Reconstruct. Everybody say Reconstruct. Okay, the world, the world, the whole world is going through a process of deconstruction right now on all kinds of levels. Uh, Political and and social ideas and customs are being challenged and deconstructed all over the place. And this is having a direct impact on the Christian church, the the Christian values we hold. Um, Because the, the world is challenging some of our values even to the point of calling some of what we believe evil. It's happening. And so, should our response to the world be to deconstruct our faith and and come more in line with what the world says is good and right? I mean, many are doing that as we speak, right? And and there are parts of, of deconstruction, let me tell you, that are good. Okay, we'll talk more about that in the series. You got to come back to, that's just a little teaser. Okay, but listen, there comes a point in this process of deconstruction where deconstruction turns into deconversion, if you're not careful. Okay, where the, the good of deconstruction crosses a line and the process of deconversion begins and people start to reject the good things of God altogether. And so while there are aspects of deconstruction that are good, there comes a point where you have to start reconstructing, amen? Right? Because deconstruction without reconstruction is just destruction and ultimately leads to deconversion. Did you catch all that? Right? And so in this new series we're, we're, that will start next week, um, we're going to confront deconstruction head on, Okay. Um, We're going to look at the good, the bad, and work to to reconstruct according to the words and ways of God. Amen? That's what we're we're moving towards next week. Uh, But today, I want to share with you just another standalone message. Um, It stands alone, but um, it really does relate to this idea of deconstruction and reconstruction that we're talking about. Because what we're going to talk about today is the idea that God is the God of generations. We sang it in the first song, King of all generations. And this idea and people's understanding of it, I believe, was way better understood in the Old Testament times. But I think it's not as understood in our modern times. And I think that this lack of understanding of God as the God of generations is part of the reason why we're faced with so much deconstruction and deconversion happening in the church today. And so my goal today is to help us recapture and and apply this understanding better in our lives so that our faith, yes, will be strengthened but so that we will also be able to help strengthen the faith of the next generation coming behind us. And so the title of today's message is God of Generations. Amen. Can we pray and ask God to just meet us in this place? 
God, we thank you that you are already here, that you are moving, you are working. You are calling us back to you. And where we have maybe strayed, either big or small throughout this week, God, we say we're here. We're in your presence. We want more of you. We want more of what you desire for us. God, we don't want just the parts that make us feel good or that we agree with. God, we want our whole lives to be built upon you, your foundation, your truths, your words. So would you do that this morning? Help us to, to start the process of reconstruction even now. And so, God, we thank you. We love you. We say all of these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to embarrass some people for just a second, but we have a ton of Chi Alpha students here this morning um, who've traveled in from Texas, Tejas, the motherland. Um, and so make sure you say hi to them and, and just make them feel at home, okay? Now, uh, before we jump into the scriptures, I want us to take a step back in time, about 380 years, in fact. Um, and I want to share a story about uh, a young boy who was born in a small village called Woolsthorpe in England in 1642. And the boy was born in this house right here, right there. Um, and this young boy's life couldn't have started any worse than it did. His father died before the boy was even born. Um, and on top of that, the, the boy was born prematurely. Um, today, being born premature is, is a big, scary deal, isn't it? Can you imagine being born prematurely 380 years ago? Right? Being born way too early, it left him weak and sick for many, many years. Um, and on top of that, the boy's young mother, when he was born, she was only 19 years old. And she was left a widow and left bankrupt with no one to provide for her or for her children. Right? They had no hope according to that time standards of a good and stable life. Um, but all of a sudden, when the, the boy was three years old, here's a picture of the boy. When he was three years old, uh, a priest came from a neighboring village of, of North Witham, and he proposed to this young mother. Right, he was only 22 at the time, but the priest was almost 70, Okay. And he asked the young mother to marry him and to move in with him in his vicarage in the, the neighboring village. Um, but there was only one condition. She couldn't bring her son with her. The priest hated this boy. Now, for some reason, of course, we don't totally understand why. We've never been in that situation before. But um, the mother accepted the priest's proposal probably for the sake of financial stability. She left the young boy with her parents to be raised by them. She got married to the priest and moved into this vicarage, and she didn't even see her son for many, many years. And when you're only three years old, you don't know a whole lot, but you know when you've been rejected and abandoned, right? You know when those who should have loved you are not doing so. And so when the, the boy grew up and, and advanced in age, um, he would write his, his memoirs. I, I haven't read them myself, but I've heard that um, it's a heartbreaking read. Uh, to read about this little toddler boy who would walk over to the neighboring village and sit down on a hill overlooking the village at the vicarage where his mother lived and was now living with this man. And he would just sit there and hate for hours. He would hate his mother for giving him up, giving him away, rejecting him. 
He would hate the priest who took his mother away, and he would hate the God that the priest represented. And as the years went by, that hate spread in the heart of this little boy. And when he started school, he was an angry child. He would talk back to his teachers. He, would, he wouldn't learn. He would bully other children in his school. Right? And he was the, the big problem child in his small school. Maybe you had one of those in your school. And this went on for years and years until one day. Now, you knew there was going to be a turning point in this story, Right? Or you are at least praying, please, can we get to the happy point, Pastor Kai? You're really bumming me out, right? So here's the turning point. Well, one day, a man moved to the boy's village, and he became the new teacher of his school. Um, now, history doesn't tell us much about this man other than um, that his name was John Houston and that he was a devout follower of Jesus. And for some reason, John Houston's eyes, they were fixed on this little boy. And even though he would have had a much easier time teaching and tutoring any other student, he focused on this boy and he made up his mind that there was beauty somewhere inside of him. And he decided that he would do whatever he could to bring that beauty out. So he started praying for this little boy. He started helping him and, and showing him love that he hadn't experienced. Started listening to him and giving him extra time um, in his studies. And now previously, every year before that, the boys' grades would come back. And every year, they would say the same three things. Lazy, not willing to learn, and good for nothing. Every year, lazy, will not learn, good for nothing. But as the months turned into years, and as this boy was, was shown encouragement and love, and as he was prayed for, gradually, this, this little dark heart started to open up. And as it did to John Houston's amazement, he realized that this boy had an amazing intellectual capacity. Here's some of his notes that he took as a young boy. Right? He had great academic potential. And as the years went by, it became obvious to everyone, including those in his school, and, and everyone realized that he excelled, especially in the areas of math and physics. So when the boy became a young man and was ready to graduate um, high school right during that time, John Houston, he did everything that he could to make sure the young man would go to, to Trinity College in Cambridge, right, elite college. And, and when he got there, partly paid for by John Houston himself, every single seed that God had planted inside of his young heart started to grow and bloom. And after a few years, he was the talk of the university. After a few more years, he was the talk of the town. After yet another few years, he was talk of the entire nation. And today, he's the talk of the world because his name is Sir Isaac Newton. One of the greatest scientists in human history, if you know about him, right? Now, if you go to, to Sir Isaac Newton's grave or his tomb in Westminster Abbey in London, you'll see his, his epitaph written on his tomb. And here's a picture of his tomb. Right? And, and it says this, written on his, on his tomb. It says, here lies Sir Isaac Newton, a man with an intellect close to the divine. Mm, how about that, right? And it goes on to say, mortals rejoice that such an ornamental humanity existed. Wow, they knew their way around words back then, didn't they? Right? And so we have um, one man with two different verdicts spoken over his life. 
One verdict said lazy, will not learn, good for nothing. The other verdict said an intellect close to the divine. And I wonder, what was the, the breaking point in between the two? What was the deciding factor that caused one verdict to, to cease and completely disappear and caused the other one to remain? What was the, the transformation from darkness and death to light and life? And the answer, church family, is one man named John Houston who accepted his calling to be a spiritual parent to the next generation. One man who chose to see things that were not seen by the physical eye and dared to surround this next generation with an atmosphere of faith and encouragement right, and to unleash it into its full potential and its full calling. Now, why am I sharing this story with you this morning? Because today we need an army of John Houston's in the world. We need an army of spiritual mothers and fathers who will realize that our purpose of being here on earth is not only to fulfill the plans and callings that God has for our lives, but to help fulfill the callings of the generation coming behind us. Right, to do whatever we can to pave the way for whatever God wants to do in the next generation. Right, to, to end this legacy of spiritual orphans that we've been talking about since the beginning of the year that plagues the church today. Right, to help the next generation develop their faith rather than deconstruct it and, and deconvert. Amen? Why? Because God is the God of generations. God is the God of generations, and, and he proves himself as such throughout his word, right? When God speaks to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 15, we'll show it up on the screen, but he says to him, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Right? God introduces himself, himself to Moses and the nation of Israel as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not only referring to three individuals, but what? Three generations. And what he's really saying is that I am the God of generations. And if God is the God of generations, then God's kingdom is the kingdom of generations. And as this kingdom moves from one generation to the next, listen, it shouldn't move like a roller coaster going up and down and up and down, revival and apostasy with every other generation. It should move from glory to glory to glory, as the Bible talks about. But listen, that will not happen automatically. It will need that army of John Houston-like people it will need people like all of us in this room to realize that one of my most precious callings as a Christian is to be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother for the next generation. This is not a responsibility that we can outsource to the Kingdom Kids team across the way. We can't outsource this to church camps and youth conventions. Right? This has to do with every single one of us Right, the general calling of all Christians. So we'll talk more about what fulfilling that calling looks like in just a moment. But again, we see this calling of being spiritual parents fulfilled all throughout Scripture. Here's some examples. 
Okay, we see it in the relationship between Moses and Joshua in Exodus chapter 33. Moses, he had a habit at the end of the day of, of going to the tabernacle to spend time in the presence of God. And in a way, you can, you can think of Moses as a pastor who pastored one of the most difficult churches in all history, right? The nation of Israel. And you would think that at the end of the day, he would want to just go spend some time with God alone. But Moses understood that God is the God of generations. And Moses was so anxious about the next generation that he would bring Joshua with him into the tabernacle. And most scholars believe that Joshua was about 15, 16, 17 years old. And, and, and Moses, he made sure to introduce this next generation to the presence of God. And in doing so, he planted seeds that would later grow and start to bloom in the life and ministry of Joshua much later. Do you see it? We see another similar story and theme in the story of Eli and Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Right, the young boy, Samuel, he was sleeping in the temple of God. And you thought you were raised in the church, right? Samuel really did grow up in the church, right? So he was sleeping in the temple. And in the, the middle of the night, God calls out his name, Samuel. And now up until that point, Samuel had heard about God, but he, he didn't yet personally know God for himself. And so he didn't know how to respond to this voice that he had heard. Well, have you been in that situation before? Right, what do I do with this? Right, I feel God is calling me. He's calling my name, but how do I respond? What do I do with it? Well, thank God there was an Eli there at that moment who could tell Samuel from his own experience that it was God calling his name. And so Eli tells Samuel what to do and how to respond. So the next time that God called out to Samuel, the young and next generation, he knew what to do, right? He knew what to say, and God started speaking to him. And in that moment, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament was born. Then that guy, he grows up and he becomes the mentor of who? David, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And Samuel is the one who surrounded David, pretty much like John Huston surrounded Isaac Newton, um, with the confidence and knowing that God is with you. And if you remember David's story, his own father didn't care enough for him to bring him to the audition to become king of Israel. He just left David out in the field. I talk about rejection issues. Not even your father believes in you. But Samuel... He saw something that, that couldn't be seen with the eyes, but could only be seen with the spirit. And Samuel surrounded David and decided um, or dedicated his time to mentoring and, and being a spiritual father for this young generation, this young man who would grow up to become the greatest king to ever rule Israel. And we can't forget the story of Elijah and Elisha, 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah was a prophet known for the many miracles that God did through him, right? And when you think of all of the miracles that Elijah did, he did a, a ton, all of the miracles that God performed through him, what would you say is the most amazing, most important one, the most important thing that he did in his life, right? You might think of uh, the scene on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, right? Fire from heaven, Elijah taunting and, and making fun of Baal and the, the prophets of Baal. It's such a good story. 
But that's not the most important thing Elijah ever did in his life. No, the most important moment in his life was when he passed by a young man named Elisha and he threw his cloak over him and called him to follow in his footsteps. Why? Because this guaranteed, this ensured that the kingdom of God would not end with Elijah, but would go from glory to glory to glory. Do you see it? The, the very last prayer that Elisha asks from Elijah is to have a double portion of God's spirit upon his life, right? And what we see in the word of God is that Elijah, when you count him up, he performed eight miracles. Elisha performs 16 miracles. The kingdom of God doubled its impact in the next generation. Do you see it, church family? Right? God is the God of generations. God wants to do greater things in the next generation than in the generation before it. Right? The move of God in the world should not be like that up and down roller coaster. No, God wants his move, his work, his children to go from glory to glory to glory from one generation to the next. Which means greater outpourings of the glory of God. Right? More people reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, healthier bodies of Christ in all of the world. Do you see it? But what is it going to take for that to happen? Because like I said, it's not automatic. Well, it's going to take every single one of us who follow Jesus to accept our calling to be spiritual parents, spiritual fathers and mothers to the next generation now, why is this so needed? Why are we talking about this over and over since the beginning of the year? Well, because the younger generation is a mustard seed generation. They're a mustard seed generation. Jesus, if you remember, speaks about the mustard seed. In Mark chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, he says this. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. If you think about it, this describes exactly what happened with Sir Isaac Newton. He was like a small, insignificant seed. And when you looked at his exterior, you couldn't see that explosive potential that was just burning inside of him. Right? Because what is needed for the mustard seed to grow from that small size and that seemingly insignificant state to an enormous tree is for someone to plant it. Jesus said, yet when it is sown, then it grows. And church family, you know this. Right? Seeds don't just plant themselves. There are other things that make it plant. Right? Seeds need for someone else to plant them. And that's the calling of you and I as spiritual fathers and mothers and spiritual parents. Right? Our calling is to see the God-given potential in the next generation and plant those seeds in their lives. Our calling is to cultivate the next generation so that the move of God in the world continues from glory to glory to glory. Do you see it? Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? Right, so that's the principle. That's the, the inspirational idea of God as the God of generations. But what is the practical? What does planting and cultivating the next generation look like? What's, what's our part? 
Well, I have a few thoughts that I want to share with you, if that's all right. Okay, first, thanks, Luke. He's the only one who wants to hear. Appreciate it. Um, first, it starts in the home. It starts in the home. Now, we just went over many examples in the Bible where a spiritual parent poured into a spiritual child who was not their biological child or even a relative. And that's probably the most common example of spiritual parentage that we see in the Bible. But I think that that's more descriptive than it is prescriptive. It doesn't have to be that way. Right? My hope and vision for spiritual parentage is that it would start in the home first. Right? That parents would not only be biological parents of their children, but also spiritual parents of their children. My hope for our church, for Central City Assembly, is that every single child would look at their parents, and then they would look to me and say, Pastor Kai, I'm sorry, you're not my pastor. Mommy and Daddy are my pastors. Right? That wouldn't hurt my feelings one bit. That would make me jump up and down and shout and run around the room like a crazy person. Right? We need pastoral parents. We need them. My hope is that our church would be full of daddy disciplers and mommy mentors who are planting and cultivating their children as the next generation of Christ followers. And so it starts in the home with our own children. It starts with us parents praying with our kids and then teaching them how to pray. It starts with us reading the Bible with our kids and then teaching them how to read the Bible too. It starts by encouraging, listen, not just church attendance, but church participation and leading by example. Attending more Sunday gatherings than you miss. Engaging in worship, singing, raising your hands, right? Serving in the church, tithing. I promise you, your kids will see that and they will follow. They will. It starts in the home with our own children first. My next thought about planting and cultivating in the next generation is that we need to look at who is behind us. We need to look at who is behind us. Listen, I would say if you are at least 20 years old, then you need to start thinking about legacy. Right now, if you are at least 20 years old, you need to start thinking of yourself as a father or, an, or a mother, as a spiritual father, a spiritual mother. You need to start looking behind you at who the next generation is, and you need to start praying for them. You need to identify a young man or woman who you can take under your wing and show them what it looks like to be a mature follower of Jesus. And this isn't just about reading scripture and praying and, and worship, right? That, that those are only parts of being a follower of Jesus, but we also need to model for the next generation what it looks like to live out our faith in the real world in practical ways. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in the marketplace? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus on the campus? What does it mean to, to, to be a follower of Jesus in community with the people who live right next door to you and across the street from you? Hey, listen, showing up to work on time, doing good work, being respectful to teachers and professors, helping out a neighbor in need. These are all just a few examples of actually very spiritual things that often get neglected when it comes to living out our faith. All right, so who is that younger person at work that you can connect with? 
Who is that newer or, or younger parent who looks exhausted and wide-eyed because they have no idea what they're doing still, right, that you can come alongside and, and partner with them and support them? Is there a student in your life who could use a mentor? Start looking at who is behind you right now and start thinking of yourself as a spiritual father or spiritual mother. Right, parents, they don't finally say, oh, I'm a father or I'm a mother when their baby comes, right? That process starts well beforehand. The third and final thought I have about planting and cultivating the next generation, and this is a challenging one, is that calling is greater than capability. Calling is greater than capability. What do I mean by that? Well, I know there might be some here today who think, well, Pastor Kai, I'm, I'm just not that kind of person. I'm, it's not my personality to be outgoing and to, to go after somebody and, and reach out to them. Right? That's just not my personality. Sometimes, listen, we allow our personality to determine our capability. And it often limits us if we're honest with ourselves. Right? We say, I'm not an extrovert, so I can never get up and speak in front of a crowd, or I could never share my faith with a complete stranger, or I am an extrovert. Are you kidding me? I, with a little bit of ADD, I can't sit and pray for 30 minutes or read through a whole chapter of the Bible. We allow our personality to determine our capability. But listen, calling is greater than capability. Your calling is greater than your capability. Ask Moses, who was basically a hermit, right, who couldn't speak well, but God called him to embrace a nation and to speak to the most powerful people in the world at the time. Ask Timothy, who was known as, as a shy, quiet young man, but was called to pastor and shepherd some of the first century churches in really difficult times. Your calling is greater than your capability. Or there might be some here today thinking of it differently, and you, you think, but I don't know enough about God to pass on to the next generation. I still struggle to pray. I still struggle um, to, to do this worship thing that we do, and I, I haven't even read the whole Bible yet. I've, I've, I, don't, I don't pray, what, right? What do I have to offer the next generation? Listen, your calling is greater than your capability. And what I know from my own experience is that God doesn't call the equipped. He doesn't call the people who have it put all together. No, he equips the called. And if you accept your calling, which is to empower the next generation, if you say yes to and pursue God's calling on your life, he will give you everything you need to fulfill that calling. He will give you that desire to read his word. He will give you that desire to pray and worship, to teach. He will give you that desire, that the, the wisdom beyond your years and understanding to disciple and mentor the next generation. All God wants from you is to say yes every step of the way, and he'll help you. He'll do the rest. And this is coming from a guy who said no to God to pastor a church because he felt incapable, like he didn't know enough, like he wasn't prepared enough, like he wasn't old enough, like he didn't have the right personality to pastor a church. But I realized that all God wanted was my yes every step of the way, and he would do the rest. And here we are, six years later, 
The building is still standing. I still have all my hair. My family is still intact. My marriage is still intact. All God wants you to do is say yes every step of the way, and he'll do the rest. Don't let your personality determine your capability and trust that God will equip you when he calls you, right? Because calling is greater than capability. Do you see it, church family? Our God is the God of generations. And the sooner we understand that, the better off the next generation will be. And maybe the greatest contribution to the kingdom of God, right? You might be thinking, man, what have I done for the kingdom of God? What am I doing with my life? The, the greatest contribution to the kingdom of God is, is not something you do, but maybe it's someone that you've raised. Whether that's your biological children or your, your spiritual children or both. Right? And that contribution is not a small contribution, but one of the most important in the kingdom of God because God is the God of generations. Or think about it this way, the whole world, the whole kingdom is full of people who are like Samuel. And right now, there are people who are hearing the voice of God for the first time in their lives. Imagine that. People have never heard the voice of God before, but God is speaking to them. And they don't know what to do with it. So they need the security. They need the stability. They need the encouragement. They need the love. They need that parental generation to lift them up. Right? And I can think of no greater and more honorable calling than that. One of my prayers and hopes is that when I'm on my way out, and I'm on my way to the, the next life, right, the, the, the last thing I want to see, spiritually speaking, is the backs of the next generation passing by the point where I stopped and going on to do greater things than I ever did. Wasn't that Jesus' prayer too? you'll go on to do even greater than I did. Right? And I hope that that's your prayer too, from glory to glory to glory, from generation to generation to generation. And so as we close, Stephanie, if you want to come on up. As we close, what I want you to do right now is simply open your heart. Open your heart to this super important dimension of what it means to be a follower of the God of generations. Do what you can to wrap your mind around this such an important idea. God is the God of generations. Because listen, there is someone in your home or there is someone outside of your home but in your life who needs you. Who needs you. And if you study church history, one of the tragic things that you'll notice, even in the past 200 years, is that when God starts a movement in the world, sometimes, usually, it's only been one generation. This amazing thing happens and then the next generation, it dies off. And this amazing thing happens and the next thing, next generation, it dies off. But I do pray and I do believe that it's time for the church of God to connect the generations and to see the kingdom of God move from glory to glory to glory from one generation to the next. But in order for that to happen, we all need to open our hearts and allow God to give us a genuine Father's heart 
a genuine mother's heart, the heart of a spiritual parent, the same kind of heart that, that once allowed a young boy called Isaac Newton to grow out from a, a spiral of darkness and death into something that was amazing, a brand new destiny. And so would you open your heart to that this morning? Let me pray for you. God, you have shown us that there is a generation, many generations of spiritual orphans in your church. Even in this room, there are people who, who don't know who their spiritual parents are. They never had that. And God, you are calling us, this church body, to end that legacy, at least in this home, this family. And so God, we recognize the problem. And this morning, you're showing us the solution. You're calling each one of us to open our hearts to being spiritual fathers, to being spiritual mothers. And God, I pray that you'd, be, you'd go beyond the words that I'm speaking. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just infiltrate each one of our minds right now and make that more true than we've ever known it before. That every single one of us, we begin to think legacy. That every single one of us would begin to think children. To think in terms of generation. And so God, right here in this place, we, we curse that culture of individuality that says everything ends with me. We curse it in the name of Jesus. And we call out generations. Not just in the next and then not the next, but from glory to glory to glory, from one generation to the next and to the next, God. I pray for a revival, not just of, of spiritual awakening to the truth of the gospel, but revival to the truth that each one of us is called to spiritual parentage. For every man in this room, I pray that you would pour out your Father's heart on them right now in the name of Jesus. For every woman in this room, I pray that you would pour out the Spirit of mother on them. God, I pray and I, I curse the voice that is saying, you're not good enough. You can't. You're not able. You don't have what it takes. God, I ask that you would silence that voice right now in the name of Jesus. And I pray that you'd help each one of us say and see that we can't. God, I pray for the next generation right now. And church family, would you just begin right now to pray for the next generation? We've got maybe a handful of kids across the way. They are the next generation. Would you begin to pray for them, bless them, ask the Holy Spirit to fill them right now? God, would you reveal yourself to each one of them 
like you did Samuel. God, would you allow these children, they're not too young, God. They're not too young to hear from you. So God, would you speak to them right now? Help them to hear your voice. And God, would you help us to do our part to mentor them, to shepherd them, to disciple them, to prepare them. God, we thank you for the efforts of evangelism that happen all over the world. But we want legacy. We want generations. So God, would you help us to wrap our minds around that this morning? We thank you for what you're doing just in our church and, and we pray that if you would allow you, you would allow us to be uh, an example to, to the rest of the body of what it looks like to disciple, what it looks like to be spiritual fathers and mothers. We ask that you'd have your way in us, God. We thank you. We love you. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you.